Welcome. Welcome. Yo, what's up, world? We are the good people. We invite you to join us on this musical journey through space and time and the music of my mind. We're out to change the world one song at a time, yo. Come on for the ride. Inside Music Cast guests are like a who's who in the world of music. Names like Lukather, Sklar, Loggins, McDonald, Wooten, Purdy, Page, Parsons, and the list goes on. But the world of music is always evolving with new, amazing talent coming onto the scene with regularity, such as today's guest, Jared Lawson. Jared has been honing his keyboard and vocal chops since he was a kid, and is a prominent player in the jazz scene in Portland, Oregon. He recently released his debut self-titled solo album, and it's burning up the soul charts in the UK, as well as ranking very high on various charts on Amazon. Like Tara Mara, Gabe Dixon, Samuel Purdy, Ula Baroud, and Carrie Buchanan, to name a few, Jared Lawson is an emerging talent that we're fortunate to include on our guest list. Feel the beat, grabbing a hold of your feet Just gotta let go and it'll direct the flow You are the vacuum devouring all you hear Autopilot ain't no need to steer Just give in to the music and its magical way So prepare for this convergence is underway Yeah This tender surrender Where your body is the epicenter The luminous colors surround you The beat is exploding through the ground You give in to the music and its magical way Then you activate to automate And the energy begins to circulate Let this music make its way Beyond the odds of Into your subconscious mind That's where you will find That you will no longer
Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome Jared Lawson. Hey, Jared, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's good to have you, Jared. Yeah. Hey, listen, thanks for joining us. Um, you know, before we begin, you know, let's uh, let, let's just say that you've had a very busy season so far this year, right, uh, to, to say the least. I mean, you, as you've just come off of jazz shows in Baltimore, uh, if I'm correct, the Capital Jazz Fest that was there. Yep. Um, I mean, you were really lined up with some some top acts. I mean, gee whiz, I saw the a few weeks back that uh, in D.C. you were with Michael Franks, Lorber, Bluey Monik of Incognito, um, Shaka Khan, Erica Badu. How are you enjoying this uh, the summer, and are you staying above it? It's been amazing. Honestly, The um, yeah, that Capital Jazz Festival was truly, I mean, it was an honor for me to open up the festival on the first night. Yeah. Um, for them, you know, to sort of entrust that with me, to be the opening act for the entire festival. Not to mention that I was opening up for uh, John Legend and Erica Badu that night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, both of whom I respect immensely. You know, all of this is just so crazy to me. I'm, I'm <laughs> who am like who am I? You know, I just I'm an independent artist. I just nobody knows who I am, and I all of a sudden I'm doing gigs opening up for John Legend. Like, yeah. I don't know like <laughs> how this happened, but yeah. you know, obviously you've just released a new album. I think it was back in April or May. Your album came out, and that's your is that your first album release? It is. Yeah, it's my debut. What do you think uh, propelled you to do this to open up for these guys and to be noticed in that sense? Well, I mean, it definitely has a lot to do with the fact that, um, I mean, I did perform on the Capital Jazz Super Cruise the last two years. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so, I mean, it's the same company. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's Capital Jazz. And um, yeah, Cliff Hunt is kind of like, I don't know if you call it the CEO. He is, he is Capital Jazz. He started okay. Capital Jazz gotcha. whenever that was, 30, 30 something years ago, I think. And um, yeah, he sort of like unilaterally chooses every single artist that participates in any of his events. Mm-hmm. And I've heard this from a lot of the other uh, employees. You know, they say he single-handedly picks every single artist. So what was this? Two years ago, um, I got a message from him just out of the clear blue sky. I didn't know who he was. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, man, I just found a YouTube video of you. We're looking for somebody to fill in for Frank McComb okay. in the piano lounge on the boat. And, um, and I, my initial thought was, man, if you're looking for somebody to fill in for Frank McComb, I think you got the wrong guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> like, who can do that? Yeah. He's amazing. So yeah, you know, we, we worked on some negotiations and I fell into that gig and uh, to be honest, the first year of it was, it was a little, um, it was a little bit of a struggle because nobody knew who I was and. I'm like the only white dude on the boat and you know, it was, it was intimidating and I was kind of trying to build a thing, you know, yeah. in this piano lounge. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I, I think it took that first year to kind of get people familiar with me. Then I came back for the cruise this last year and, um, and it was just like, it was mayhem in there every single night in the piano lounge. It was just crammed full of people. Yeah. We, we were able to find out, a, a, see a couple of the, of the videos just from people that were in that piano lounge. And, and I mean, I mean, there's literally hundreds of those things out there that are just saying, this guy's amazing. So you're right. Second year is uh, totally different, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you have Jazz Fest West that's coming up, I believe, in July. Correct. That's cool. Yeah. You know, well, first of all, you know, congratulations. You know, we've learned that you've hit uh, number one on the UK soul charts and, and the UK, you know, 
uh, it seems like they've always just loved soul and R&B, you know, for decades. And, and here you are in the, in the reviews, like Eddie mentioned, are off the chart. So so we bo- before we dig into your, your amazing new album, let's talk about you because it makes all the sense, you know, to first see where this music is coming from and, and how it, you know, incubated b- before the launch. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so you know, when you grew up, obviously, in, uh, in, in California, Redwood City, mm-hmm. and... Um, Tell us a story about about your your upbringing. It's sort of interesting because you, tell us about your dad. Your dad had a recording studio at, at the house, or or Correct. was it a studio you were living at? Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, really, the truth is, it wasn't a house at all. You know, it was it was just a recording studio space, and um, it was kind of in the middle of like not really a residential area. You know what I mean? Yep. And um, yeah, that was our living space. My mom and my older sister, Kristen, and my dad. We all lived in that space, and um, those are my earliest memories. You know, it was like kind of romping around in the studio, playing with the drums, and 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 of course listening to my father and his band at the time recording their music. Which um, I mean, those are some of my best memories, and I still love his music and listen to his music, um, and it just it brings back memories for me. Yeah. But um, so yeah, I mean that's kind of how. I, those are my earliest memories growing up in a recording studio and kind of gravitating to the drums at, you know, the ripe old age of two years old. <laughs> yeah. So what, what kind of a recording studio was it? I mean, what kind of, uh, was it, uh, more for commercials, uh, or was it music recording? What kind of, uh, acts was he bringing in there and, you know, recording? I mean, to be honest, all, all that I recall yep. was that he recorded his own band there. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I mean, he had a he had a fairly successful band at the time, um, and uh, if I recall, he had like, you know, some pretty heavy cats in the band. He had like um, Janis Joplin's bass player was playing the band, and wow, you know, he was in that that region where there was just a huge um, pool of great studio cats. And um, you know, I mean, I think he opened up. I've heard him tell me stories of opening up for people like, um, you know, I think the Doobie Brothers and. And I, he's told me stories of like going to parties with the stones and just crazy <laughs> stuff like that. So that's, you know, that was my dad's life. Wow. And that's kind of what I grew up in to some degree. Yeah. yeah. So interesting. What, so, so what kind of music, I mean, were you listening to? I mean, other than your dad's and what he was listening to. So, you know, obviously, you know, when you pick up your dad's records, you know, you sort of absorb and you become his own music, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, as it, I would say, from the time I was two or three years old, his music was probably my favorite music. And then, um, you know, moving on from there, the first record that I re- actually remember ever telling my mom, I have to have this record. Will you please, please, please buy it for me? Uh-huh. Was Michael Jackson's Thriller. Oh, of course. <laughs> I, that was just, you know, every kid had to have that. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it was all over the radio mm-hmm. and that was the best thing I'd ever heard, mm-hmm. you know, at the time. <laughs> <laughs> we recall, you know, when we picked up Thriller years ago, you know, just just reading the liner notes alone was a yeah. novel. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. And uh, we you know we at Inside Music Cast we always pride ourselves because you know <laughs> hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands of our listeners out there they're really in, they all fall in a category that we call the liner notes geeks. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And we devour right, Rick. I mean, oh, that's yeah. why that's how we started Inside Music Cast yeah. because we used to eat them up. You know, memorize who was playing on these records. Yeah, you know, right. you get your Jr. Your, your Luke and everybody was on Thriller, right? Yeah, and we've had a lot of those guys on our show. 
Yeah. Nice. A lot of the liner notes, <laughs> guys that lined the notes on the uh, the Thriller album, where yeah. we've been on, on Inside Music Cast. So, yeah, hey, you know, at, you know, at the age of eight, I think you you guys moved to Oregon. I think rural Oregon, it's, outside of Portland. So I was just curious about ha- how you handled that that move. Did your dad have a? I was curious about when you moved. Did, did your dad maintain a studio uh, and and a, or a music room of some sort in the in the house when you guys moved? You know, that was always part of the plan. Yeah. But it didn't. It didn't really come to fruition. Yeah. Um, when we moved, yeah. You know, when we moved to Oregon, the funny thing is, my dad, he was kind of making some trips to Oregon, uh, back and forth, just by himself, kind of looking for a place to buy mm-hmm. to to bring the family to. And um, and my mom just kind of you know trusted him that he would find a great place, and and then we would all move. So he comes back from one of his trips, and he says, "I found the place. You know, let's pack it up. Let's." We're going to do this. We move to Oregon. We, we get to the lot. We start driving up the driveway, which is a, what, over a half mile long <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are like 500 Holstein cattle roaming freely. <laughs> and, and, you know, and it's like a 75 acre plot. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I mean, I, I grew up in Redwood city. So now I'm like, right. Super culture shock. Yeah. But, but it's all amazing to me at the same time. I'm like, this is great, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but yeah, you know, getting, getting to the, uh, as we kind of pulled up to the house, we started to realize, oh, this house is like a skeleton. I mean, you literally could see through the house. It wasn't even fully built yet. <laughs> oh my gosh. And my mom just about had a fit. She was like, are you kidding me? I was going to ask about your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I can see her eyes. I don't even know what she looks like, but I can see her eyes. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, black. <laughs> I remember her looking at my dad like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. This is what we're going to live in right now. <laughs> so, I mean, it was like, it was kind of like living in a shack for a while. Mm-hmm. And my, my dad and my uncle continued to, you know, they're both carpenters and they, mm-hmm. And uh, they continued to work on the place for several years, actually, after that. And always had a dream to have a recording studio uh-huh. somewhere on the piece of land. And it just never happened. Uh, that's too bad. Yeah. You know, in those formidable years in your teens and that kind of stuff, you know, what, uh, you know, how did you get your chops? You know, when, you know, what were you doing? You were, you said a little few minutes ago that you were uh, started out being a drummer. Then you switched over to the keyboards. So, right. uh, you know, how did you progress? You know, from, you're from eight years. I mean, granted, you were, you're a teenager now. Were you playing gigs in school or how, how did you, uh, you know, get your first chops? Well, you know, my father got me started really understanding, um, just kind of how basic like chord and, and, and harmonic theory sort of work. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not I'm not formally trained, and I don't really understand theory on a very deep level. But I do. He did get me under to, to, to where at least at the at the time, understanding basic like major and minor chord structures, and then sort of branching out from there, adding other extensions into the harmony. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, my father's primarily a guitar player, but but he played enough piano, you know, that he can he could kind of get me started at least to understanding some of the fundamentals of. Of, uh, of what I understand now. Sure, sure. Right, right. So basically, you, you know, with the things you can hear, you can you can figure out. I mean, we've got so many people, you know, that we've interviewed that learn pretty much from hearing, figuring it out, and and right. progressing to reading some charts, if not all, or that type of thing. And and mm-hmm. um, you know, since some guys are, have made it really pretty big and haven't really read it all, you know. Right. Well, hey, that's that's me. Yeah. I, I, you can put a piece of 
piece of classical music in front of me with notation on it, and I just stare at it blankly. I, I put this. <laughs> yeah. But if you if you put a uh, you know a chord chart in front of me that says you know G major seven sharp eleven, I know what to do with that, and I know how to improvise over the top of that. So that's that's sort of the other side of theory to me. Mm-hmm. That's the part that I understand. Right, right, right. You know, obviously, when when we listen to your music, it's it's goes without saying that you know you were probably heavily influenced by uh, soul and R and B singers and artists. I, th- I think I recall reading that Stevie Wonder and Donny Hathaway were two uh, major influences on you. But yeah. I bet you get this all the time when people hear your music. They probably you know assimilate or try to you know compare I, it, I don't I hate the word compare because I hate comparing artists to other artists but but right. you do have that heavy Donny Hathaway Stevie Wonder soul funk R&B kind of vibe to to your music mm. well you know I, I don't like comparing artists to other artists either but I, if yeah. anybody's going to compare me to anyone else <laughs> I, I would love it to be Stevie Wonder and Donny Hathaway right <laughs> right <laughs> you know so tell us how long you've been writing your own music and uh you know, and, and when was the first time you performed some of your music, literally in front of people? Um, you know, I really kind of started composing, mm-hmm. I think, when I, what was it? Maybe right around the time I started going to college in like mm-hmm. 90, maybe 1995-ish. It was interesting. My my father and I had a conversation some years ago. And uh, I just always, I, I looked up to him and I admired him as a songwriter. Mm-hmm. And I remember him coming to me one day and saying, I, I don't know if he just saw that I was sort of struggling with what I wanted to be as a musician or what, but I remember him saying to me, you, you know, if you want to be a songwriter, just get up every day and tell yourself you're a songwriter. Mm-hmm. And I, I swear to God, I did it and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I literally yeah. told myself every day, I'm, I'm a songwriter. Yeah. And for some reason, the more you tell yourself that, you, it starts to just manifest. Sinks and, in, yeah. You know, it really does. You start to believe it. And yeah. then, assuming you have some talent to actually go along with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an important element, yeah. That is an important element. <laughs> was your dad a songwriter? He was, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, really? In fact, he wrote some great songs, really great songs. For himself or did he write for others? He wrote for himself. Okay. And actually, I, I would love someday I'm going to re-record some of those songs that he wrote. Yeah, I was just thinking about are, that. Do the, are there recordings that uh, exist of, of him performing his songs? There are. There are recordings of him and his band recording them at the recording studio that I grew up in. Okay. Yeah, old, old tapes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I'm going off into a tangent here, but I'm just curious, what, what style of music was he playing? Was it similar to what you do, or is it, is it, uh, was it something different? I would say it's definitely... Similar-ish. Uh-huh. Um, it was definitely, you know, soulful, but maybe a little bit more on the rock side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. But kind of funky, funky and rock soulful. Okay. Yeah. It's cool music for sure. We're curious, Eddie and I, we, you know, learning about you and, and kind of reading about, you know, you're being from Portland and, the, you know, that upper Northwest area. And I, we're curious about the music scene uh, up in Portland. Um because I, I understand that, you know, there's some other really amazing, you know, jazz and R&B and soul type artists that are that are kind of playing in the local scene up there. And I'm just curious about what you can tell us about what's happening up there. Um, yeah. You know, honestly, the music scene here is pretty great mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And I think it's attracting people from, um, you know, California. I, uh-huh. I'm constantly meeting people from New York and the East Coast in general, like flocking to Portland all of a sudden. Interesting. Mm. 
I think maybe size wise, it's just a little more manageable, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it has a thriving, certainly a thriving jazz scene, I would say. Mm-hmm. Here. And um, I mean, there are a couple of local jazz legends. I don't know if you know who Mel Brown is. No. Mel, Mel Brown actually played on a bunch of the old Motown records back in the day. Okay. Okay. Um, um, yeah. So he's, he's like a local institution as is, I got another guy named Thera memory who, um, just recently won a Grammy with Esperanza Spalding. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I know who you're talking about. They composed a song that was actually about Portland. It's called the city of roses. Okay. All and, right. Uh, so yeah, he also lives here and is, I mean, we've got some, some sort of pillars in the jazz community here that, um, and unfortunately one of them just passed away, uh, just a few weeks ago, Janice Scroggins. Okay. But yeah, so the jazz scene is fully intact. Um, as far as the soul R&B scene, it, it really seems to be, uh, it's, it's, it's experiencing a lot of growth, I feel like, right now. Uh-huh. Um, and there's sort of a, it's kind of bubbling up and really starting to turn into like, a, I mean, it's very much like a community thing. There's a good friend of mine, Tony Ozier. He has a band called the Doodoo Funk All-Stars. <laughs> That's a cool name. <laughs> <laughs> but um, maybe about four, maybe five years ago, uh-huh. he started this jam session where it was like, he's really trying to bring the soul community together. And so he started this jam session called the Dookie Jam. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the Dookie and the doo-doo and the, you know, all that. It's kind of hard to explain. <laughs> I get it, man. <laughs> um, anyway, you know, since since he started that, it really started to bring people out who wanted to be involved in this sort of like soul community. Uh-huh. And it was a place where people could come, you know, if you were a, a, a poet or if you were a musician or if you were a dancer or whatever, you can get up on stage and kind of express yourself and That's be a cool. part of this thing. And um, yeah, there's there's more things like that happening, I feel like, all the time in Portland. That's cool. Yeah. Hey, you you played some steady uh, Portland gigs there in the scene there for for quite a while. Um, you know, have you had a band there for for a long time, or do you play pretty much uh, solo gigs? I do a combination of, or or I should say, I do any number of different like configurations. Really, mm-hmm. I do solo gigs. I do duo gigs. I play with a band called the Soulmates, right? Which has um, guitar player named Jay Coder, who used to play with Jeff Lorber Fusion. Yeah. Um, and a drummer named Reinhard Meltz, who's just like, just one of the most unbelievably amazing drummers. He actually plays with Gino Vanelli now. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I play with that band. Maybe every couple of months we'll do a gig. Um, you know, and I'm above and beyond that. I mean, I've been sort of a hired gun that people can just you, know, you can call me up and I'll learn your music and show up to the gig and play it. Sure. But um, I'm kind of getting. I'm moving into a different sort of stage of my life right now i think especially with the date you know the dropping of my debut record yeah uh like all of a sudden i don't have time for any of that <laughs> my, my life is one big interview <laughs> <laughs> you know i i um i heard that a couple of years ago you um were invited by farnell um newton's um trumpeter great trumpeter i tell you the guy's a great horn player yeah, um is. To to contribute to one of uh, to a track on on his album, and you sang the lead on "Everything Is Clear," which is a phenomenal track. In fact, I think I put a link on there in our Inside Music Cast um, uh, Facebook page. Just yeah. I wanted people to hear that, and it it featured some very interesting musicians. Stephen, uh, uh, yeah, on keys, Tyrone Hendricks on drums. 
Jan Zingber on percussion, and uh, but you worked closely with him on on vocals and horn arrangements. And uh, you know, tell us what you what you learned from that project. That was a couple years back. Yeah, it was a couple years back. Um, you know, this was right around the same time that I was sort of beginning this. You know, beginning to work on some of the vocal stuff for my record as well. And uh-huh. so I had, I had just bought myself a really nice microphone and some preamps and, and I finally had a setup in my own house uh-huh. to record vocals. Okay. So that, so right about that time, you know, Farnell came to me and was like, man, I got this, this track that Steve Lynn and I put together. I'd love for you to, you know, write some lyrics, put some vocals down. And, and so I said, man, just send me the track and I'll, I'll work on the vocals at home, you know? Right. 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 And so I kind of sat around and tried to figure out how I wanted to sort of spread out the harmony and, and um, yeah, I, I, I kind of rough drafted it and I sent it to him and he, you know, he came back and he was like, man, are you kidding me? Yeah, right. it's like, and then he was like, why don't you just go ahead and write the horn parts too? And I was like, what? <laughs> like, okay. Might as well. <laughs> so I did that. Hey, Jared, tell us about the horn parts because at what, par- at what time did, I mean, you write very nice, elaborate horn parts and, and we'll talk about vocals later. Rick Scott wants to talk about that. But okay. uh, talk about the horn parts because you have a nice affinity of, of keeping the horns nice and simple and clean because they're actually very difficult to, to write for. Well, you know, it's true. I, I actually have a problem with that and not just for horns. I, you know, I tend to write bass lines. <laughs> like a keyboard player. Yeah. And then my, you know, my bass player is like, man, that's not easy to play on a bass. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, man, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's kind of the same for the horns. You know, I, I just write them the way that I hear them. Yeah. And then sometimes, you know, like I, I handed these over to Farnell and he was like, man, there's a couple parts in there that are like not very intuitive for, for horn playing, but we'll, we'll get it done. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so, um, I'm, t- I'm learning, I'm learning how to make things, more conducive, you know, to the actual, like, execution uh, of the performance for, yeah. for a player. Yeah. But, um, but that certainly was an honor for a horn player himself to say, man, why don't you write some horn parts for me for this song? Yeah. And, uh, it's a great... That was, yeah, that was a very nice gesture. It's a nice track. Well, speaking of honors, you know, we've heard that one of your most memorable moments in your career was when you got a chance to play a, a birthday party uh, for Stevie Wonder in, in Portland. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yes, that was. Uh, really, <laughs> I mean, that was one of the highlights of my life. I bet. For sure. It's been a lifelong dream of mine, you know. Of course, to meet Stevie Wonder. Uh, I mean, that would have been enough just to meet him, shake his hand. But then I got a, an opportunity to actually sing him "Happy Birthday." Wow! And be in a band backing him up for for his birthday. Oh man, that's <laughs> awesome! And then, and then add on to that, you know, before we even started sort of performing any music. Um, the band and I were, you know, we're sitting down and Stevie comes over and he sits down at the acoustic piano, which is right next to me. I'm sitting at a keyboard. <laughs> we had an acoustic piano set up for him, comes and sits down and he just decides to do, you know, three or four kind of short versions of tunes, um, before we even started playing with him. And so I literally just like got down off of my seat and I sat on the ground right next to him. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm just looking up at him like like a puppy dog, you know, and man, he started singing my Sharia more and it, it literally brought me to tears. Oh my God. This, is, this is one of the most powerful moments in my life for sure. Very cool. Very cool. I, I actually met Stevie Wonder once. This goes back probably 15 years ago. I went to the, uh, 
a convention in LA called the uh, AES convention, the Audio Engineering Society convention. And uh, I, it was the first time I was there, and I was just kind of walking around the floor, and, and uh, I walked up to a keyboard booth. I think it was Emu or something, and I was just kind of just taking in everything. Yeah. And this, and I was standing there looking at a, a you know a keyboard or something, and this entourage of people walk up, and uh, and they're all just hanging around this guy, and I'm not even really paying attention. Before <laughs> you know it, they all sort of like move away, and, and this and, and this guy is like sitting there with his fingers on the keyboards, just feeling it out. And mm-hmm. I look over next to me, and I'm like basically shoulder to shoulder with Stevie Wonder. <laughs> and I, I looked, and I looked again, and then I looked about a third time. <laughs> and I thought, oh my god! <laughs> I, I felt like I was going to pass out. You know, I was instantly right. starstruck. And and I yeah. asked the guy. I said, and, I, and it was funny because a guy one in his entourage kind of tapped me on the shoulder and looked back, and he goes, "Yeah, that's Stevie." <laughs> <laughs> he just knew that I was thinking, "Oh my god!" <laughs> he could right. see the reaction on my face. <laughs> <laughs> but but that was a cool moment. <laughs> Very cool moment. But yeah. to, but to sit at the feet of Stevie while he sings Munchery, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I, can, I can feel that. I can feel yeah. that. That's pretty cool. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, to to hear the sound come out of his mouth in the in the the powerful yeah. and like heartfelt way that it does. Yeah. To be that close to him when it's happening. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it's it's just. It gives me shivers just thinking about it, honestly. Yeah. You know, I, I get I get sort of freaked out a little bit, Jared, sometimes when I listen to people and you know, you listen to records and you go to concerts and that kind of stuff, but but mm. you know, when you when you really have a top musician, I mean somebody like Stevie or or anybody of, of the caliber, and yeah. you're so close to them and you can really get blown away with really how humanly good they are. I mean, this is no wonder they are so so famous, so good, so popular is because they are that darn good, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's, that's just an amazing experience. Well, you know, we're itching to talk about the new album, and uh, me and Rick must say that the first time we heard your first track, uh, Music in its Musical Way. <laughs> magical Way. <laughs> oh, your Magical Way. It's, uh, you know, it was... Um, it made us grin ear to ear because, you know, the lyrics not are only great, but it's great rhythm. The bass lines have that Esperanza Spalding vibe. Your vocals were tight, you know, and then the vocals came in. And, of course, I thought I was listening to Mark Kibble in Take Six. And oh. I'm like, then I'm like, then the piano riffs and you're working this thing. It's, I hear a little bit of Joe Sample. Hey, I'm Eddie, like, it, we don't like comparisons. I know we don't. I, I know. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just going on because Jared knows what I'm saying, okay? You, you, uh, in essence, you pushed all my buttons, okay? You, you oh, really okay. did. And, um, you know, it's what I'm telling you is no surprise to you, but uh, how do you respond when others, you know, tell you that they hear this in their in their music lately? You know, it just makes me feel so great. It yeah. fills me up. You know, it fills up my cup. That's, <laughs> you know, when you, when you make music, uh, you know, I, maybe there's two different kinds of musicians. There's people who make music uh, solely for themselves, yeah. and there are people who make music for their audience and themselves. Um, and I guess there's maybe there's people who make music just for their audience too. I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, I definitely do it for myself and my audience. I, I'm, you know, I'm not, not, and that's not to say that I, that the creative process has been hindered by me constantly thinking about how it's going to be received by people. But, but I definitely, to some degree, I'm thinking about, you know, I want this to be accessible and I want people to be able to relate to it to some degree. Right. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what am I really doing it for? Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So when people, when people express their appreciation in the way that they have been over the last few weeks um, or the last few couple of months, I guess, I really, uh, it just, it really, 
it confirms that that all my hard work has not been for nothing. Mm-hmm. It makes me feel wonderful, of course. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, how, how you build songs. Uh, track two on your new album is called Sleepwalkers, and uh, it's yeah. a track that, uh, you know, um, I will say it, it touches on a lot of different styles within one track that I, I found really impressive. Um, you know, I'm, I'm Latino, so you, you start off with a little bit of salsa, actually, in yeah, the tune. You, you know, you start off with some salsa, and it, okay, I heard some, you know, some piano pa- patterns from, uh, you know, a guy that I love an awful lot, Poncho Sanchez, you know, and oh, and yeah. uh, and then you add the flutes and the horns, and you take it uh, into a whole different orbit. Then you break it down into a soul groove. I'm like, uh, tell us about how you worked on Sleepwalkers. Is this, is this a new tune? How old is this uh, tune? And, and tell us about how this came to be. So my band, The Good People, mm-hmm. we um, this is maybe like, I don't know, maybe four years ago now. During the time when we were rehearsing a lot, we would always get together. And before we would even rehearse any particular songs, we would we would spend about 20 to 30 minutes just jamming, just trying to to kind of gel and make ourselves a sort of cohesive unit. You know what I mean? Just kind of get used to each other. Let's let's feel each other out. And then we'll move into playing songs. So during that time, when we would have those kind of jam sessions, a lot of really cool things would come out. Um, Just, just while we're sort of freely throwing ideas out, creative ideas out and letting them bounce off of each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And we ended up sort of like sliding into this little two chord jam at some point that a part of sleepwalkers came from. And actually it's kind of like the B section when it does the. Yeah. Yep. With, the, with the flutes and the piano playing that line. Uh-huh. That's like, there's like alternating between two chords right there. Okay. And that section came from this jam essentially. I see. Um, so, you know, I kind of, I was inspired by that jam session that we had that day to then take that that little two-chord jam and write a bunch of music around it. <laughs> okay. All right. Um and to be honest, I'm not I'm not even positive how it all came to be the way that it is. <laughs> you know, the, the sort of like stylistic mutt that it is, you know. Yeah. You said it, it it does it touches on a lot of different genres. Um but I think it always had sort of Latin undertones. Although when the drum groove first hits off right at the top, it almost is hinting at like a, almost more of a Brazilian kind of a thing. It does. It has a nice little feel like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so again, yeah, I mean, it's just a big mutt. The song is a big, <laughs> big stylistic mutt. It's okay. It's a beautifully sounding It's a beautiful mutt. mutt. It's a beautiful mutt. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. Hey, Jared, Eddie, let's pause for a second and let's listen to another track from Jared's debut solo CD. And this is a track called Sleepwalkers. Thank you. 
What are we headed for? 
afraid to speculate My heart wants to believe But I can't confirm through what I see Is it really such a sacrifice To have our comfort compromised Jared, the album, you know, is 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 wonderfully complex and, and it you know has a lot of detailed orchestration. And I just wondered, do you have a major influence when it comes uh, to the approach of arranging? You know, so many, really. Yeah. I mean, I I've spent my life listening to all styles of music. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I went through a period in my life where I listened to a ton of classical music, uh-huh. lots of Chopin and Ravel and Debussy and. Mm-hmm. Stravinsky and you know I I love classical music uh-huh. I also very much love um, you know I love jazz music of course yeah. as you can as you can hear in my music but yeah. I I'm a big fan of Jacopo Pistorius as a composer yeah some of his like big band uh, from like word of mouth uh, yeah, yeah, mouth yeah, record yeah. right mm-hmm. those arrangements and com- compositions are golden to me um, same with Chick Corea you know I, I consider Chick Corea to be one of the greatest composers of all time personally yeah, yeah. Um, and I've, I've definitely gathered a lot of inspiration from him um, and a lot of other areas, for sure. You know, I was going to ask the next next question, basically, uh, you know, lyrically, you know, there's mm-hmm. so many wonderful, you know, um, spiritual a- anecdotes and messages that, you know, come through your music. They're so honest and uh, you must see uh, music in a very deeply spiritual manner um, because the track, uh, the third track, um, he's there is clearly talking about, you know, a divine presence. Uh, I mean, that's sort of woven in through this whole album, right? It is. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, I think on the whole, the record brings a pretty pretty heavy spiritual message. Yeah. Um, that song in particular, though, it, uh, there's, there's a double meaning there. And that, that song I wrote about one of my best friends who passed away. Okay. Um, got into an autobi- automobile accident just out of high school. Really? His name was Justin Wood, and um, yeah, he he essentially. I mean, the first words that I'm when I'm saying, when I was the new kid in town, uh, you offered up the first friendly sound. That was him. Like when we moved here from California, I had to go. You know, going to a new school. I didn't know anybody. He was kind of the first kid that came up to me. I was like, "Hey, man, how you doing? You know, let's let's kick the soccer ball around on the recess or whatever." And next thing I know, we're best friends for years. Right? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, he was one of my best friends during during most of my early life. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so that song is, a great was, track. is inspired by him. Well, that's the track. Before the interview started, I was telling you about how I, I was stalking you, uh, at, you know, <laughs> <laughs> when I first heard the album. And I think I got to track three. I got to this track. He's there. And yeah. that's the one that made me want to write you and say, hey, Jared, I got to get you on the show because <laughs> this, yeah, right. I just, you know, I, those vocal harmonies in that, in that tune. Or Eddie mentioned I wanted to talk about vocal harmonies. You, right. you do all the vocal harmonies, right? Is there anybody else that's singing on this or is it just you? There are just a few, um, you know, on the track Needed. Uh-huh. 
There's right. um, my partner, Amanda, is singing background vocals on okay. that. Okay. And then uh, my friend, Lisa Hart, is singing just like one little tiny cameo part on Sleepwalkers. And okay. it's, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just when we say, uh, we are sleepwalkers, she's yeah. singing right there. And that's it. I see. I see. Everything else is, um, yeah, just stacks and stacks and stacks of myself. <laughs> well, yeah, for me, it was just, it's such a huge sound. And just the vocal harmonies themselves. I love to just hear that stripped, you know, mm-hmm. just and just listen to the vocal harmonies. Right. And it's just... Uh, it, that could be arranged. <laughs> it's just... No, you know what? Um, that's a really good point, uh, Rick. This is such an intricate album that some of those vocals, if you did some working tracks, just so people can hear that. Oh, yeah. Th- that would really draw people in into how you built this, especially with the vocals. They're yeah. outstanding. They're that's, beautiful. Thank Thank you so much. Well, let's pause for a minute and let's check out this track called He's There from our guest today, Jared Lawson.
return to forever, my friend. This infinitive surrender will suspend as we transcend. When the properties of space and time illuminate the line that divides the dark from the light. Out of this world, only in it for a minute. Flesh melts away when the breath of life is no longer in it. A human is an alloy of heaven and earth. Your spirit will forever inspire to retire and higher and higher. tune walk in the park you know i guess it's it's about social justice you know it talks about the contrasts in the in the world we live in about you know people who suffer and about those who have been blessed per se and and in fact i, I love the lyric that sums up this track uh, one man's struggle is another man's walk in the park you know right. it's, it's a powerful song that really causes you know the listener to see things from you know a, a different perspective right it's beautiful glad, it's nice that you caught that that, yeah. that, that is that is the line that sums up the song for yeah, sure. Absolutely. You know, as we're talking about these records, you know, obviously they're just flowing our, our our feelings on this whole thing. But you know, can you also talk to us about the bass grooves? You talked a few minutes ago that you play, you sort of compose, and you you hear bass grooves from a keyboardist perspective. But right. on all that surrounds me, I tell you, mm-hmm. those <laughs> that mm-hmm. ba- yeah. <laughs> that bass line is just uh, the best way I can say it is just nasty good. You know, it's <laughs> I mean, it slapped me, man. It did. You, you map out the bass lines, uh, you know, on the track, and and uh, I mean, it it is just uh, such a grooving album. You know, talk to us a little bit just about the how you approach bass lines. How do you how do you listen to those? Um, you know, I think from the time I was young because I was kind of isolated and I was essentially forced to play by myself a lot, mm-hmm. my left hand gravitated to the bass. Whereas, um, you know, a lot of jazz players will play chords with their left hand and then kind of improvise with over the top with their right hand. Mm-hmm. And, and and I like to do that as well in, in the right setting. But when, I, when you're playing by yourself and you want to hear the fundamental tones to kind of support the harmonic structure that you're playing in the middle, mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, again, so my left hand just naturally gravitated to fill in the fundamental tones, which is the bass. Yeah. So more of a, more of a blues sort of approach, right? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, sort of developing that over years and years and years, you know, your bass lines just naturally get more and more complex, um, as you learn how to sort of move through harmony with your bass line. And so now I, you know, when I'm composing, 
like if I'm starting fresh with a tune, yeah. I mean, I've tried all different ways, you know, of composing, but if I'm, if I'm writing music first, sometimes I'll have lyrics first and rewriting music to the lyrics. But, yeah. but if I'm writing music first, I'm almost always composing the baseline and the chord changes at the same time. Yeah. Okay. Because, um, they just, I like those two components to, to sort of fit harmoniously yeah. first. Mm-hmm. Like that's really important to me. So yeah, I mean that's that's kind of that's kind of how I how I do the bass thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Cool. You know, are all all of your supporting musicians on this album uh, are they all from the Portland area? Yes, they are. Yeah, have you been playing along with these? Uh, do they gig with you? Uh, how do you go? How did you cross paths with them? Well, you know, at the time when I was starting this rec- this recording project, or just just prior to that, you know, I was looking for they they were all younger guys, you know. Mm-hmm. At the time, they were in their like early early twenties. Okay. Mm. Kind of just out of you know, just in in college or kind of getting out of college, and um, I think what I was looking for more than like the best players I could find were I was looking for good players who were um, who could devote time to rehearsing first of all, and were like minded to some degree about. Um, you know, sp- sort of the spiritual message that I was trying to carry through the music. Yeah. That was, um, you know, I needed people who believed in the project essentially. And that's who they were. You know, they were people who they were good. They're great friends of mine. Mm-hmm. First of all, I love them as people. And that's, that's huge. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, there's a sort of like sense of family that I feel with that band. And I hope that that comes through in the music. I, I think that it does. Yep. It sounds like you guys have been playing together forever. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> you know, I just want to get maybe not too technical, but slightly technical and talk about the recording. And, you know, you talked earlier that, you you know, you grew up, uh, you know, pretty involved and, you know, around your dad's studio. And, and do you do you personally have an affinity towards the recording and engineering side of things? or And how did you approach the recording of this album from a technical standpoint? I do. I do have an affinity for that. Um, although, you know, Prior to this recording project, I didn't have any experience whatsoever with it. Um, really? I mean, a very superficial understanding of the technical side of everything. Mm-hmm. But like I said, um, you know, I I bought myself a really nice microphone and I got myself a setup at home so that I could, specifically so that I could do my vocals here in my right. house. And that was at the advice of Jan Zingber, who plays percussion on a lot of the record. Uh-huh. And he had kind of just finished his own debut record a few years before. And so he had a lot of sound advice to offer to me. And, um, you know, when he said that I was, I was a little reticent at first to take, you know, $5,000 of the money that I had set aside and just, you know, spend it all in one fell swoop on gear. Yeah. (laughs) That's easy to do too. Right. (laughs) But to be honest, I mean, now that I have all of that, I I can't imagine doing it another way, to be honest. I, I just, I'm not that guy. I don't like to go into a studio, a really expensive studio, and be trying to lay vocal tracks where there's people in there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know that it's, I'm taking up studio time that's expensive. And right. they're pointing at their watch, looking at me like, come on, man, let's get this done. And like that, I don't work well in those situations. Mm-hmm. I need, you know, specifically with laying vocal tracks, I need to be able to be calm, lose myself in the music, and, and you know, to ensure that I'm going to get quality performances, that's right. really kind of the way for me. So not to push yourself and you know have that have that added pressure, you know, somebody breathing down your neck. 
Right. Yeah. Exactly. What was a mic that you purchased? What vocal mic did you purchase? <laughs> I purchased, <laughs> you're not going to believe this. I purchased a Lawson <laughs> L47 MP Mark II. <laughs> okay. I know of Lawson. I don't have any of those personally, but yeah, I know it's a great, they, they make a great product. Really nice microphone. Yeah. And then, uh, and you, did you record it in, in, do you have a home studio? Is that where you recorded it? Yeah. I mean, I, it's just my spare bedroom in my house. You know, I kind of wow. turned it into a small recording studio for the time being. That's just amazing. I mean, it's like you, you the, the record is, is really well engineered and it's, it's, uh, it has such a huge sound. I, I just envisioned that it was cut in a huge room somewhere. You know, it just, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's amazing what you can do, you know, in, in a small room and, you know, and, and, and even in any acoustic space, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, sure. <laughs> hey, Jared, you know, although this record isn't uh, per se a, a gospel album, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's not intended to be that way, but it's, um, but would you ever consider a gospel album seriously straight up? Because, uh, um, you know, you may have gotten some suggestions from someone already that that lets you know that uh, there's already a road to be paved that that could be quite easy for you, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know. Um, but uh, anyway, I was just I was just suggesting that just because of the fact that it is what it is, you know. Right. Are you asking if I would have interest in making a gospel record? Yeah. In the future? Yeah. Um, I'm I'm certainly not opposed to that. Yeah. Not at all. I mean, I love gospel music. And um, I'm sure you can you can hear that to some degree in in the music that has influenced me, and um, you know probably the, the closest thing to that would be everything I need on the, on this record. Yes, which was sort of a was kind of a tribute to Donny Hathaway, to be honest. Yeah, but it also I, you know I wrote that right after that terrible tsunami hit Japan some years ago. Yeah, and um, I had some friends I had some friends that were Japanese and had family still back in Japan, and mm-hmm. I saw how it was affecting them and. Really, that really inspired me to write that song at the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very neat. You know, one thing that I've noticed about this new project is it's it's uh, it's very listenable to the point that um, you can listen to the whole thing at one at one setting. You know, me and Rick have talked about mm-hmm. the the albums of of yore when they were basically it was called album. You know, it was an album rock that type of thing. It's right. where you sat down at the beginning, you dropped the needle, and you let the vinyl just spin, and you listened to the whole thing, and you, th- you know, it was great. Yeah, they were somewhat right. thematic to a degree. Yeah, yeah. This is this is easy to listen like that. You know, um, it just flows from track to track. Yeah, right. I mean, and my my point is this: is that um, you know there were some new songs, but there were also some songs that have been in the in the hamper there for a while. How did you bring them to be uh, sort of um, so so fluid, so systematic? So effort- yeah. yeah, exactly. Boy, that's a really good question. I mean, some of the songs were new, and some of them had been in the you had penned those uh, a while back, right? Yeah, it's true. Right. Um, you know, think about why is one of those songs that I I probably wrote maybe even over ten years ago. Wow. And you know, along the along the way, as a composer, you kind of naturally hold on to the things that you think have some value and you let go of the things that you think don't. And that was one of those songs I always thought, you know, man, you know, that's just too good to not, to not do something with at some point. Right. Yeah. As far as speaking on how, how I took songs from 10 years ago and sort of integrated them into songs that I've written more in the last three years, to be honest, I don't know. I don't know how it worked. Yeah. It's, I think it's maybe it's by chance or maybe it's, just I, I don't know. It's a, it's a mystery to me. We'll just, I, we'll just call it magic. Yeah, it's, right. exactly. <laughs> Lawson's magic. <laughs> and, and on that subject, uh-huh. honestly, like I, the the one track uh, needed 
that I decided it was the last track that I decided to put on the record. All right. right. Yeah. And I was a little bit hesitant to do it because, you know, I had decided to do all of the music entirely electronic, you know, whereas everything else on the record is all real instruments. It's all real drums, real bass, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then you get to need it. And all of a sudden it's like this sort of like ethereal electronica <laughs> sort of vibe. And it's like, yeah. I, I worried about whether that was going to seem completely out of place or not. So if you're telling me it's, it doesn't, then I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it all flows really nicely. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good body of work. You know, we talked earlier that, you know, you're having such great success in the UK right now. And, you know, like we said, it's already number one in the soul charts. And uh, I'm just curious about, um, uh, first of all, are you, are you planning on taking uh, uh, your, uh, you know, yourself over to Europe and, or to, to the UK now that you've had some success in getting some notoriety? Are you planning to tour over there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I don't know exactly when that's going to happen, but I know that, um, you know, my manager and I have been talking right now about the possibility of getting over to, you know, maybe the Jazz Cafe in London Yeah. in the next few months. Mm-hmm. But we're trying to coordinate. I mean, you know, if you're going to spend $1,500 to get over the Atlantic, mm-hmm. we, we, need, we need to have, you know, four or five shows in place before sure. we do that. Um, and I know that we have, we just got invited to um, this big jazz festival in Stockholm. Okay. Very cool. So I'm pretty psyched about that. Um, so yeah, if we can coordinate five or six or seven gigs or something like that while we're over there, that would be ideal. To to continue on with that question, uh, and we're just about finished here, but uh, how is your album doing in, in other parts of the world? I mean, are you are you seeing any you know little buds of success like you're seeing in the UK and other parts of the of the world? You know, it's a little bit hard to track right now. Yeah. Um, I know that a- actually just as of yesterday. Somebody brought it to my manager's attention that not only is my album, see, on on Amazon, my album uh, now is number one in like three categories, like Neo Soul, Soul Jazz, wow, and something else. And then all that surrounds was just hit number one on the singles in Neo Soul, Soul Jazz, and I think one other category. Very cool. So, yeah. um, So that's an indicator of, and that's all based on sales. Wow, that's cool. That's amazing. So, so yeah, maybe I'll be getting some money here someday. I, don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> I haven't seen anything yet. So, <laughs> uh, we're here. Long, we're here at uh, just uh, to help you get the word out and uh, and to to introduce our listeners to to your music and they um, and they love quality stuff. I will say that. And Eddie and I are, are just want to point out since we're here in Indianapolis, uh, the Jazz Kitchen. We need you to come to the Jazz Kitchen. There is no doubt. <laughs> yes, Indianapolis, the Jazz Kitchen. Yes. <laughs> Another uh, track on your album, Jared, that Eddie and I both love is called All That Surrounds. So let's pause for a moment and let's take a listen. Action in action 
as the ground is covered with love from above.
Jared, this has been fantastic uh, chatting with you and uh, learning more about you. And of course, I, you know, Betty and I both recommend your album to all of our listeners and, and at least take, take a listen to this because, you know, just like I mentioned earlier, the vocal harmonies alone will just suck you right in. But everything else about the album is just fantastic. And yeah. it's been a pleasure talking to you. Yeah. Thank you so much. You guys have been amazing. All right. Well, congratulations to success. And, uh, and we'll keep in touch. Yeah. No doubt. We will Absolutely. keep in touch. Already? All right. Well, take care, Jared. All right, thanks, both of you. All right. right. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Special thanks to Jared Lawson for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Kim Riley, Brian Pearson, Scott Gross, Max Zabe, Mikhail Ingstrom, Loretta Sossaman, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup, and Mats Uniland for their continued support and content development for Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast is powered by Cabello Associates and Earshot Audio Post. For information about becoming a sponsor and sharing your message with thousands of music fans around the world, please visit InsideMusicCast.com for contact information. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. Turn.